0: so good to be together this morning in the room. What a treat. And online, so grateful to have you as well. Y'all, there's a phrase that I love and I hate. Uh, It's a common phrase. I use use it often in in here, I've used it in other settings. It can conjure up rich memories and, and the only way to describe it is like, it's like my soul is smiling when someone says this phrase. Uh, but it can also trigger a sense of frustration that leads to resentment, that kind of leads me to a place where I feel isolated and left out. Now, the phrase I'm thinking of is when someone, you know, you're in a group and someone says, were you there when? And, and if you were, it's like, oh my gosh, yes. And if you weren't, it's like, no. And, and and I really don't care about the rest of you, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I'm not exaggerating when I say this. And I was recounting this with some folks after the service, uh, last service. Um, having been, you know, here at this church and, and just the Christian life and over the, gen, you know, decades for me, but 23 year plus years here at fellowship from beginning to here. Um, I'm telling you, the Spirit moves... The Spirit's always at work, but the Spirit moves in seasons. And there are times when God is at work doing something that, um, it, I, I dare to use this word, it's, it's unusual. Um, and you just don't want to miss it. And I, and I want to say the Spirit is moving, He's blowing and inviting us to trust Him in such a way that uh, when we do, I, I, I'm, again, I'm not exaggerating, because I'm talking to people this way looking back. Twenty years from now, someone will say, "Were you there when about these these weeks we're in right now?" And I want you to be in when they ask the question. It won't be me. It's twenty years. I don't know. You know, twenty years from now, I don't have no idea. But but someone will, and and I I mean it. I'm I'm praying that everyone who calls fellowship home, this is your church. That. Um, when, when when they say, "Were you there when we paid off our mortgage?" in those in that five week period, we paid off our mortgage, and we helped put El Shaddai back home. You know, do you remember? I hope we all are there. Um, last week, Rob unpacked how the Spirit seems to be moving, and it, you know, we've pivoted here. We, I was supposed to. We we're supposed to be in Proverbs. I'll talk about that in a minute, but we're not. We're in we're, we're, we're in this series we're in. And uh, Rob and I feel like it's important, you know, to, to make sure we're, everyone's on the same page. And so last week, I'll remind you, he talked about some ways that uh, the elders were reflecting on how the Spirit seemed to be moving in these days. And, um, and he noted these three things, and, and they all have something in common. He noted our general giving. And, you know, 18 months ago or, you know, over a year ago, COVID shuts down churches, and you all, through your generosity, do you know church shuts down, giving goes up? How, how do you explain that? Uh, he mentioned Global Christmas. Those of you who aren't familiar with Global Christmas, we've been doing this for 20 years. It's very simple, less under our tree, more for the world. It's not like give $200,000, give 10,000, it's give $12. It's one less gift under your tree, more for the world. And in the midst of COVID and a lot of stuff online, whatever, you know, we had the largest global giving in our history. You gave $1.1 million in the span of a five-week period. Uh, here at Brentwood, if you've not been over to the Learning Center and seen the new playground, I hope you'll go see it because that's a $100,000 investment in our children. That wasn't in our budget. A family came and just, you know, said, we've got $100,000 we would like to give. Them. We'd like it to go toward our children, which we're like, let's do this. This is a, at the core of who we are. And so there's a new playground phenomenal out there. It's like, it's like, it's like, these things don't make sense. That's where I'm getting at, right? Rob talked about that. And then just recently, a family comes to Rob and says, like to talk to you about a gift we'd like to give. Rob met with this family. And their heart, you know, the heart and the gift was, but well, we'd, like we'd like the gift to be used in such a way that it would deepen and stir generosity in our body. Cause you know, you can, you can give a gift, you give it, it's gone, it's the best, and you move on to the next thing. But they said, let's use this in a way that stirs generosity long-term in our body. So after praying about it, the elders sensed the Spirit uh, inviting us to use that gift, by the way, and I've said this, $500,000 gift, it's the lar- largest gift this church has ever received, um, as, a, as a lead gift to pay off our mortgage. Um, I'm telling you, doing so, it, it, it unlocks a lot of resources, to, to, to pay that mortgage off and it puts us in a financial foundation honestly to, to, to go after our mission helping people find wholehearted life in Jesus you know more aggressively more urgently more widely you see it does so many things um, just a bit of a history lesson because I was looking at I was looking at some notes from messages I taught in 2002 because if you were here and some of you were I know, um, that was a year before we actually sat in this room for the first time. There's some 120 families at the time meeting at Franklin High who pledged 4.5 million dollars over three years. Uh, and, and just to, again, historically, for you to understand this, that we took our, our mortgage was eight million. So we, we had an eight million dollar mortgage. In, in 2003, we moved in here with an eight million dollar mortgage, it got us on this land, and then these buildings. Now, that was 2003 you know, we had one entrance on and off this property, just on um, Franklin Road. We needed to get to Concord Road. And so in 2010 and 11, that mortgage went, you know, the peak of the mortgage was 12 million, just over 12 million, because that's what it took to get the land and build the infrastructure to get onto Concord Road. That's 2010, 2011. Now, because of, you know, your giving, regular generous giving, you know, we've, we've thrown all we can at that mortgage over the years, you know, where we finish a year and we have surplus, let's pay the principal down and we've done that. And so, again, this is a review from last week. Rob showed you this slide, but I want you to look at it. Um, so the mortgage currently is $1.6 million. Um, there's a $500,000 lead gift. Um, many of you in your giving, you know, give to the general giving and then many of you give to the mortgage. You say, "This put this toward the mortgage, and we hold that, and then we'll pay it. So there's $180,000 in designated given to the mortgage. And then our staff said, you know, we're, we're running under our budget right now. Can we hold that all the way through our fiscal year, which is the end of August? And if we do, we'll have 120000 that goes toward the mortgage. So there you see the number I keep using. We have $800,000 uh, to pay off our mortgage. We're asking everybody to join the Spirit. If you're in this church, um, and this is your church home, everyone to step in and uh, let's pay this off. And let's do it by May 9th. So, you know, there's a time frame we're putting on this. We're not doing a six-month capital campaign and have small group meetings and dinners and pledges. This is, let's do this. May 9th, we're, we're done, May 9th. Um, now, as the elders continue to pray about this, I, again, this is where I step back and, 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 and I go, um, oh my gosh, you know, what, what uh, based on your history, your history, there's a good chance we'd raise more than 800,000. So um, they're asking the question, what would we, God have us do with money above 800,000? And, and this is where, this is where you just go, you see the fingerprints of God Upon this, and you sense the spirit of God moving, and that would be these. These men said, "Well, whatever comes in above eight hundred thousand, what we do with it is we give it away." Now, it it goes. It 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 goes out the door to others uh, in need. In God's timing and providence, one of our local ministry partners, longtime ministry partners, El Shaddai Christian Church over in Nolensville, one of the best led, you know, mission. Driven, passionate uh, Hispanic-speaking churches in our community, and we—they've we, been our partner for years. You know what? They—they they were boot—they—they were—they had to move out of their home in 2010 at the 2010 flood. They haven't been home in 11 years. Well, it just so happens right now they're in a campaign to raise 1.3 million dollars to get back home, and so. What the elders have said is we're gonna take a significant portion, of, you know, because we wanna to give to our local partners, but a significant portion we want really to go towards El Shaddai and let's get them back home. Now, why would we not put anything above the mortgage into an account for our own future needs? Because I want you to know this, we do have needs and we've got things we'd love to do right here on this campus to finish it out and we've got to, we need to get a home for our Franklin congregation. Uh, why wouldn't we put some of that aside? Because You know, that was my first thought. (laughs) Like, let's save some for a rainy day. And then I'm reminded, and and there's two reasons. One is we live by a value here. We have five, but one of our values is not about ourselves. And so we're giving away because it's just not about us. And secondly, because as we're going to learn, y'all, over these next four weeks in particular, biblical generosity is like a river. It flows, It's not like a lake or a pond or a water tower over here that's holding water for future use. It's always moving. And so whatever touches our hands above our mortgage, may it flow right off our hands to our local partners in this community. Which brings us to this message that I'm gonna walk us through here in a moment Um, in this series we're calling Generous God. One last preemptive thought. I know what some of you are thinking because this you know, it's kind of the way I think and perhaps you think, well, of course they're going to teach on generosity <laughs> so that we'll all give more. You know? And I would say, man, you are smart because that's true. But it goes deeper than that. It, it goes significantly deeper. I'm going to ask you guys a couple questions. Do you know any Stingy people who are happy people. Uh, do you know any people who are takers? They're just takers. It's like they never get, they're just takers. Do you know any of those people that you'd love to be with and hang out with? You know? Or how about this? If you're a parent, does, does, it, does it just like warm your heart when you're a kid has more toys than they can play with in a year, but won't share any with anyone. I mean, you just go, that's sweet. You know, that's (laughs) so awesome. You know, and I say that, you know, in a silly way, but in a serious way to say, we know in our gut, we know in our heart, we were made for more than that. And I would say we're made being made in God's image. And God being a generous God, which we're going to unpack here in a moment, our deepest joy is tied to generosity. I don't, you know, Jesus wasn't talking worldly wisdom when Luke quotes Jesus as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And what Jesus was saying is is explained, I think, by Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase of the message. I love the way he says this. He's rephrasing Jesus and saying what Jesus means is this. You're far happier giving than getting. And so you say, "Why, why this series on generosity? I mean this without an ounce of sarcasm or insincerity. We're exploring the generation. Generosity of God for your happiness and for my happiness. Now, we're going to survey that very quickly from Genesis to Revelation, um, but I'm, I'm not going to start at Genesis. I'm actually going to start in the very middle of the Bible. And so, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to the book of Proverbs. And I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. Y'all, we were supposed to start the series in Proverbs last week, but that's been delayed. We'll start it May 16th. We'll be in Proverbs for part of our summer. Uh, we're going to Proverbs because here in this book of wisdom, we find this proverb that is, it's a paradox, as many of the Proverbs are. What I mean by that is it's, it's putting two things together that don't go together. That, that doesn't make any sense. That's how the Proverbs get our attention and this is the one that I find foundational in explaining and unlocking the mystery of the generosity of God. Proverbs eleven twenty four says this, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Now stay in your Bible for a moment and just note these words. There's one who gives, so, so note there's one who Gives away what's theirs. And that person actually gets more. Well, how do you get, wait, if I, that doesn't make any sense. The second part, and another withholds. So another one's holding on to, and and in their holding on to, what develops in them is want, (laughs) So it's like you're gonna hold on to it and you're gonna find you got less. It's it's like this this doesn't add up. This is not does that make any sense? The math's not working here. Notice on the screen a couple of different versions that get at this the New American standard. There's one who scatters, so I've got something, but I'm gonna I'm gonna disperse it. There's one who scatters and in the weirdest way and yet increases all the more. And there's one who withholds what's justly due. It results only in want. The New Living Translation, same verse. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and you'll lose everything. Or again, Peterson in the message, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. What, what, what is this proverb saying? It's saying that God's economy runs on an entirely different economic system than the world's economies, the economies and theories of man. It's, y'all, it's, it's heavenly math that doesn't make earthly sense is what it is. Here's what I mean. In the world's economy, let's get very concrete with this. If I have $100 and I give you 10, I now have this is not I'm not trying to trick you. I now have less than I had. Is that is that right? Cuz how much do I have now? Not tricking you. How much do I, I had 100 but now how much do I have? Yeah, but the proverb says if you have 100 and you give 10 to someone, the proverb says the giver has more than 100. Do you see that? It's like what? This this is not making sense. Wait, wait. I I have 100, I give you 10, so I'm down 10. The Bible says, no, I'm up 10 or more. And you who didn't have the 10, you're now up 10. In other words, when we are generous, everyone, mark this, everyone has more. That's, that's just, I can't figure that out. But it's, what's, it's what God's word says. It's biblical economics, really. Generosity is God's economic engine because God at his core is generous. Now, a a quick survey. Let's start at the beginning and work our way to the end, and this is very much an overview. I'm going to look at God's generosity under three headings. So just note, I'm just going to hit these three headings, okay? I'm gonna, we're going to look at his generosity in creating all things, in sustaining all things, and redeeming all things. I'm, I'm going to suggest that these things demonstrate, express the generosity of God. Let's start with creating all things. Don't turn there because you already know it. Genesis one, one says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." You know other passages built upon the. You know that God created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So we, we, that's the first sentence of the Bible. But there's something that comes before that sentence, and what comes before that sentence is God. In biblical theology, we understand that God exists as a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And Father, Son, and Spirit, He has always existed, will always exist, has no beginning, no end. And as a triune God, He is whole, complete, holy, satisfied, glorified. He's, 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 He's all he needs, is what I'm trying to say. God in his person has no needs. So why did he create the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them in humanity? You have to you really do have to think about that question. If, if he is holy, has always been and always will be holy and complete and Fool is maybe the way in himself. Why did why why that? You know, we often we might go to love, you know, because he loves. Well, you gotta gotta come back. I mean, there's a part of that, but you gotta sit back here and say, Look, he exists forever in perfect love between Father, Son, and Spirit. He already has relationships, you know, (laughs) he's in perfect love. To to get at the why, uh, we got to get at something else. This may help us. The Hebrew word for generous, it carries the sense of a predisposition to be favorably inclined to give. To be predisposed to giving. say it like this. Generosity is the predisposition to give, and you can hear it in these verses. Think about what I'm just describing this word in Hebrew means, in generous. We pick it up, pick up Exodus 35.5. It says, take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts, generous thoughts, emotions, desires, choices, the core who we are, those with generous predisposed bent to, to, to give, present the following gifts to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze. Psalm 37, 21 says the wicked borrow and do not pay back. Contrast, but the righteous are, it's a Hebrew word, generous and keep giving. But it's, it's more than just the predisposition to give. Because when we unpack that word and we see how it's used throughout the Bible, it is it is a predisposition to giving more than is required. What, what do you mean, more than is required? I mean, it's like if you wet a sponge, you can wet a sponge. But if you're going to give, if you're going to wet a sponge more than what's required, you would saturate the sponge so that the sponge has got all the water it can hold so much so it's, it can't hold it anymore. And so it's just dripping. The sponge is just dripping with generosity. That's the idea. Generosity is always overflowing, you see, beyond what's needed. Abundance (laughs) beyond. And this gets to the why question. I'm not saying dogmatically that this is the only reason there's something and not anything. But fundamentally, if if God exists fully satisfied and complete in his being and always will, why 7.7 billion people and increasing all with different fingerprints and personalities and everything distinct about them? Why mountains and streams and rivers? Why why the world as we see it? Why the places you and I have been that take our breath away? Why 400,000 species of flowers and not four? Why mosquitoes? You know why? Why things on the bottom of the ocean that we can we we will you'll never will never see? Why why all this? Why galaxies and stars without number? Why more colors than our eyes in their fallen condition can even perceive? Why sounds that our ears you know in, in our fallenness can't even pick up that exist? The question. I want to suggest it's not simply, why is there anything? Why is there so much? <laughs> you know, why is it over, why is there so much? Generosity. Generosity. I'm, I'm laughing at myself right now because one of the guys backstage says, my daughter was in the service and, and she came to me afterwards and says, why is he yelling? <laughs> I need to stop yelling. <laughs> Generosity, you know. Abundance to overflowing. One writer said it like this. He designed with superfluous creativity. That word means with more than needed creativity. In other words, God's world in creation. See, we're in creation is more than enough. Now, we have trouble seeing it. We all have trouble seeing it. Why can't we see it? Well, because we carry DNA from our parents, Adam and Eve. And you know back in the garden, Adam and Eve, do you understand the garden was superfluous in creativity? You understand the garden was more than enough, but they didn't see it. And so the one thing God said don't eat from, the one tree they ate from, why, 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 did they, why would they do that? Because God's so generous. There's just more than you'll ever get to. You, you're gonna rule the world, the earth. Gonna... Because they thought God was holding back something they needed for their good to be fully satisfied. And I'll use this word, to be happy in the best sense, to, to, to have joy. So they said, I think he's home back, so we're gonna get this, right? And so you and I, we carry those genes, and so now when we look at our world, we see through that same lens and go, I think he's holding back. And we look at the world itself and there's that, there's that thing in us. I know it's in me that's like, I don't have enough yet. There's not enough. I want you to do a heart check for a moment. Just, just pause, ask yourself this question. Let me ask you this question. Just think for a moment. Is there something, is there something you think you need right now for you to be whole, full of joy, satisfied at rest that God's not given you? Is there, be honest. You don't have to tell me, just for yourself. Be honest, is there? You think God's, there's something you're lacking that God's holding out on you at this time of your life? I got those things. See, the degree to which we believe God is holding Holding something from is a, the degree to which we, we don't understand or believe God's a generous God. So, in creating all things, God declares his generosity. In addition, um, it's not just in creation, but it's in sustaining all things, all his purposes and plans in sustaining those things. After the fall, you know, when Adam and Eve fell, humanity plunges into, you know, brokenness and chaos. But God doesn't abandon his purposes and plans. God sets about bringing humanity and creation back to himself sovereignly, providentially. And so, what I, what I want to say is that, you know, this is covering, you know, really through the whole Bible, but in sustaining all things, every, every sustaining act of God is an act of generosity. That's what I'm trying to say. And, and, and we see and I'm just going by the biblical story. Every act of God through the biblical story and, and moving his purposes and plans forward and sustaining is an expression of his generosity. I, I made a list of them and I went, well, I can't do that. I can't go to the list. So I just said, no, I, okay, I'm gonna just pick one. And so I, I landed on the story in 1 Kings uh, 17 of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Everybody, If you remember that, it's, it's 1 Kings 17, but I'll tell you the story. So, so Israel... The nation is under God's judgment and here's why. Because they made idols, because they're worshiping some some things rather than God. So they're under God's judgment as he promised they would be and there's a drought, there's famine in the land and people are dying of starvation. There's, there's, There's no food to be found in places. So God tells Elijah, I keep pronouncing that because there's Elijah and Elisha who followed him. So we're on Elijah. He says, "Elijah, I want you to go to the widow of Zarephath, and, and I want you to. She, will, I want you to. She will feed you." And so he goes to the widow, and you got to know in the Bible when you see widow, all these red flags need to shoot up. This is a bad situation. They're, a widow is extremely vulnerable, and he goes to the widow, and what he finds when he goes to the widow, and we know this because the text says it, is the widow says. It says, she has enough oil and flour to make her last meal for herself and her son before they die. So that's who God sent Elijah to go get his food from, (laughs) this widow who's who's got only enough for herself and her son, and and then she says, we're gonna die. So Elijah says, well, I want you to take I want you to take the ingredients you have that you are going to use for you and your son, and I want you to make that bread for me first. Can you now? I, you know, put yourself in in the life of the biblical character. What what would you have done? I, you know, I'm I, I you know I'm just saying this. I'm 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 a dad, but I go. I feel it. I think about it as a mom. A mom you know. Look, I'll make it for. I'm going to make some for my son, because I'll die, I'll do without, and I'll make some for you. You, you know what I'm saying? You didn't negotiate. And, but this is the this is the key. Elijah gave her a word, and a promise. Now, what's she going to do with it? Well, go back to Proverbs 11. Remember what we read in Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11 says, the one who gives, receives. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 says, if, if you, if you want to hold on to your stuff, uh, you're going to end up hungry. You're going to suffer want. I don't, you know, other than it's the spirit of God, you know, she takes the prophet's word and promise, and she makes, she makes the meal for him first. Now think about this. She has enough for one meal. So one meal minus that one meal equals what in math? What does it equal? Do you know what happens here? The meal, the one meal given to Elijah based on the word of God and the promise of God equals more meals than she'll ever count. She had enough to eat. Until the rains came, because that's what God promised. By his acts, God demonstrates that he is a God of abundance. And and I need to step aside on this to say, I said by his acts, because you won't find a verse in the Bible that says God is abundant generous. You you won't find that verse in your Bible. What what do you find in your Bible? God being generous, acting generous, doing generous, doing generous. That's what you see in your Bible. So why I can say to you, God is generous. Generosity is not just a value. It's not an idea. It's not a philosophy. It's an act. And God demonstrates by his, act, by his acts his generosity. So I'm suggesting the Bible reveals our God is a generous God in creating all things, sustaining all things, and then lastly, in redeeming all things. Now, when I say that, we've landed at Jesus. Of course, we could spend weeks here. Back in Genesis, we, we, we understand that the world as it was meant to be and humanity as it was meant to be in relationship with God was fractured. Anything separated from God is broken. It's not whole. It's not how it was meant to be. So sin has created this fracture. God sends his only son to pay the penalty for our sin. And again, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to mostly to the choir in this. So, so Jesus makes, a way, makes the way for us to be back in relationship with God. And in Jesus, we are not only brought back into relationship with God, set right with God, but Jesus, you know, Jesus promises that in the future he's going to come back again and set the whole world, the all of creation right again. Forever. I want you to listen to the, I want you to hear the generosity in the, in this statement from Paul when he speaks of the gospel, the good news of faith in Christ for salvation and life. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, for those for those who trust the gospel. Do you, do you hear that? Not only not only have God saved us, but there's so much more. Your ear couldn't take it and your eyes couldn't see it yet. Your mind can't even imagine it. That's the language of generosity in the gospel. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6. Last, just the last verse I'm gonna look at, last verse is Matthew 6. I'm gonna hit it quickly because we were just here. Uh, Matthew 6, 25, you know, here, it's just a few weeks ago, Rob was teaching this because we're in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is that passage that Rob reminded us, y'all, this is not, this is not just Jesus saying, hey, don't be anxious about what you, what you need. It's not just that. You know, it's also an opportunity for us to say, notice how Jesus views the world and his own father. Because I wanna suggest this passage shows us that Jesus in his humanity looked at his father as a generous God, as a generous father. Matthew 6, 25, I'm just gonna read it. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. This coming from a man who lived a subsistence lifestyle. See, that's the thing, don't forget. Jesus just didn't have anything. And he's he's speaking like this. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith? Without denying the reality of poverty and need. I mean, the man lived in poverty. When Jesus looked at his heavenly father, he saw a generous heavenly father and an abundance in all of creation, he's citing creation, that God takes care, I mean, God takes care of the birds, you guys, hello, you know, it's like, you're of more value than them. There's more than enough here if you will trust our generous Father. The Greek word for generous that we find in the New Testament adds this idea, not just of the predisposition to give beyond abundance, but this idea of an open hand, and that's why I like what the team put for our logo in this Generous God series. I don't know that you can improve on that picture of an open hand because the, 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 the concept of generosity is that, is that you don't hold on to anything. That's what a great generosity. That's what gen, What's generosity? It looks like that. That's what generosity does. Well, wait, wait if, if that looks like generosity, then when you get something, you can't hold on to it. Exactly because you get it, what touches your hand moves on, and what you need the next day comes and hits your handy. It's a beautiful picture of God's generosity. And if God's hand is open, and I want to say to you, it always is, I would contend that His children will live this way as well. Now, not surprisingly, it takes me, you, know, 30 minutes to get all that in. Our friends at the Bible Project can say it in five minutes, <laughs> better than I ever could. And, um, and really Rob and I use this, Rob used this video before, but we're gonna watch the whole of the video because it's, it's really the foundation of this message. And Rob's teaching the same message at Franklin right now. You know, we're teaching the same message at each place. And so I want you to, I wanna set it up though. I want you to watch this video because it'll just reinforce this because it's built upon it. Um, I'll set it up the way they do, so brilliant. Rather than thinking of you know, God's generosity and even the biblical story as creating, sustaining, redeeming, what if you thought of the whole biblical story as God throwing a party?
1: Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink, there's enough. For everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you
2: don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you.
1: Yeah, that's what a good host wants
2: for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests
1: in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but It's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military
2: occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way too.
1: But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the
2: world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that
1: God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands.
2: And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy, anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over. It's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham. And he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need All they have to do is trust his generosity.
1: And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not
2: what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoil party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough, and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's
1: goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is going to go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no
2: surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life.
1: Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life. and scarcity back into abundance. Or as the
2: Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host just
1: like Jesus did. And when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one
2: of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host.
0: Sharing with others because we trust that God is the generous host, the generous host of this party when you're when you're at a party and you, you, how do you how do you delight the host at a party you party <laughs> <laughs> right do you think about it you, you party you you receive the generosity of the host in the biggest way jesus is god's ultimate gift of generosity we respond to that generosity by being generous. I want you to just consider a moment. I'm going to give you just 30 seconds to consider what it means for you today because through the history of the Bible, we find that the people of God always respond to the generosity of God. When they see it, when they know that God's generous, they always respond the same way. And they do at least two things. Number one, they give thanks Number two, they give generously. So what, that, what might that mean for you today? I've got the, the screens, got, I've got the words up here of the, those two things. I just want you to just give you 30 seconds to think about it, and then I'm going to move us to a response. But what would it look like for you today to, give, to be thankful, give thanks, and to give generously? You notice, too, in the video, and I want to remind you, it's not, it, it's not always just money. It's, it's all of our being and all that we are. Would you consider that for just a moment? Let's stand together. Um, one one way we can express that gratitude and the people of God have done for generations is to sing of that gratitude. And so having recognized God's generosity, let's sing of his generosity. And, and I hope what wells up within us as we sing these words is to be reminded there, we'll say this over and over, so I'm telling you, there is nothing better than Jesus. And when that is the core conviction of the heart, I'll tell you, then and only then, then and only then, do your hands go open. There's no open hands apart from the gospel. When Jesus is your, is your satisfaction, oh, the hands go open. The hands go open, and all that God has given us flows through those hands. For the good of others, and for the glory of of God. May we be reminded of that. Because when that's true, and again, song we'll sing, we see God indeed, he he takes the death places of our world, graves, and he does turn them into gardens.